Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and as always, the esteemed Mr. John Morris with our sponsors. Welcome back, everyone. And this episode of Working Class Fishing is brought to you by Trout Lender Nets, Max and Outfitters, Angry Rooster Fly Company, Lid Rig, and Morris Flyco. And make sure you check those guys out. They have some great deals for our listeners and they want to help you get into fishing on a budget. So use those discount codes. They're a great deal for everybody. Now, tonight, our very special esteemed guest is a good friend of John and myself. We've known, uh, John's known Gabe for a lot longer than I have. John actually told me about Gabe. He's like, dude, you got to check this guy out. You like bass fishing? Check out Gabe. Go watch his videos on YouTube. Go check out his podcast. But this is Mr. Gabe Montgomery. He's also known as the Tin Horse Monty. He has an awesome YouTube channel. He has a fantastic podcast. And he's all around a very good guy. He's always willing to share information and knowledge. So, Gabe, thank you so much for being on our podcast tonight. We really appreciate you taking time with us. Hey, man. It's good to be here. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and offering me the opportunity to come on the show. I really like what you're doing and it's awesome to be a part of it. Yeah, man. Uh, we, we talked, uh, oh gosh, was a couple months ago, I was like, well, I think we can get you in in October. You're like, it's August. What do you mean October? It's, it's just been because we've had so many guests, but we were like, we have to get Gabe on for season two. Season two has been fire and it, now we get to dump gasoline on it. So Gabe, you know, we, we know you really well. Uh, we know you for your bass fishing. We know all that, but um, you know this this could go any which way of directions to talk about fishing and everything else. Um, I just saw today with your YouTube channel, you guys just broke six thousand subs. What's what's going on over there? Yeah, man, it's a big deal. So I kind of set a goal for myself every year, um, and this year it was to get seven thousand. So. I've got like 6,100 and change and we've got a couple months to go. I don't know if I'll hit it, but regardless, that's not that important. What's important is just bringing good content and just sharing the content with the folks out there in YouTube land. And yeah, I started this YouTube channel about five years ago. So it's just been kind of a slow, steady grind. And in my area, I live in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I do a lot of fishing in Southeast Missouri and Southern Illinois as well. Um, Cape Girardeau, for those of you that don't know, is about 100 miles south of St. Louis, and it's right on the Mississippi River. So Illinois is right across the river from me, and Illinois has a lot of great lakes over there. But there wasn't any content from that, that area over there. Actually, this whole area didn't have any content. There's not a lot of YouTubers, um, to be quite honest. People start, they realize how much is involved, not just the actual going out and, <clears throat> excuse me, videoing, but the, the editing process takes a long time. So there, there was just kind of this void in this area. So I got this wild, crazy idea. Hey, let's start a YouTube channel and let's just start filming and, and editing and, and sharing what I'm learning and 
and it's been great. I've learned a ton. I'm sharing, I'm sharing, I'm, I'm open and honest about what I'm doing out there. The whole goal is to just help people catch more fish. You know, um, it's, it's actually taught me a lot about myself, not just what I'm doing as far as fishing, because you get to go back and you, you kind of watch the video and you're like, man, that was a horrible hook set. That was a horrible cast. What was I doing there? I'm, you know, I'm out of place. You learn a lot about yourself and what you're doing that's good and what you're doing that you can improve on. But also sharing that information, sharing what you learn while you're out there on the lake and putting it in a video. I've, I've, a lot of these lakes around here are small. So when you watch some of the videos on the, on the Tin Horse Money YouTube channel, you can tell kind of where I'm at. And I kind of had, you know, kind of a yin and yang thing going on internally. I'm like, do I share so much that people are out there on those spots all the time because they are small lakes and they're easy to identify the, the areas. And, you know, I, the right thing to do is just to put it all out there. And if I see people fishing in the same areas, that I'm in and they're catching fish. Well, that that's what it was about in the first place. So mission accomplished. Yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of how it started. I just, there wasn't a lot of content from this area and I just wanted to, um, just to try it. It sounded fun. I just wanted to try it. I don't, get, I don't get the fish as much as I want. So doing this YouTube channel, it makes me feel almost like I'm fishing because I'm a part of a, a YouTube community and I've met a lot of great people like you guys on the other end there. You know, if, if I wasn't doing this YouTube channel, it's highly likely that I never would have run across you guys. So it's been a win-win situation so far. Dude, so I've got to say, congrats. Like, honestly, man, like I found your channel. I was sitting in Afghanistan, looking at my laptop, really had the fishing bug. And I came across uh, Backyard Bassin's channel, you know, old Greg. And then uh, you guys did Monday Night Live together. And I was like, wow, this, these guys are the real deal. Like, they're not, they're not here, you know, to get rich and famous. But you guys shared so much knowledge. I think you guys at the time were talking about how, like, how to walk jerk baits and your favorite baits for that time of the year and i've just got to say man like your channel is awesome it, it, it's outstanding it's just this honest wealth of knowledge and you really do put it all out there for people um so just thanks for doing that game that's i mean that's that's honestly really awesome dude hey man I, I appreciate that that makes me feel good that's kind of stuff that keeps me going um yeah so when we started the monday night live stream it's a lot, it's an actual live stream. So it's on Monday nights at 7.30 Central Standard Time on the North Money YouTube channel. And, you know, when you're on there, there's a comment section. And as it's going, you can, you can ask the guest questions real time. And we, it's very interactive. But I started that with Greg. Actually, Greg started at Backyard Bass and he's no longer doing the YouTube thing. But he reached out to me. He's, he's about 30 minutes north of me. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, man, I'm doing this um, this Monday night live stream thing. Would you ever want to come up and be a guest? And I'm like, man, I don't know, dude. I'm not real good in front of a camera. I'm just kind of working into this YouTube thing. And I'm just trying to, it's different being live versus editing your stuff. Like if you're out on the lake shooting video and you do something stupid or you say something stupid, you just edit it. It's no big deal. But when you're live, you're live, man. You know, you're putting yourself out there. It's It's real. It's like the real organic stuff. So I was a little bit hesitant, but I've been really trying the last, I don't know, 
probably the last 10, 15 years of my life to push myself into doing things that I'm not comfortable with. And it kind of started with uh, my musical background. I, I play bass guitar and I played in several bands and I always had stage fright. I was always just nervous to be up on stage. I felt like people were looking at me, even though they're not. Most of the time people are just hanging out listening to music, but you get kind of stage fright and that's kind of the same feeling that you can get when you're doing a live stream. So I was hesitant, but I pushed through and I made myself go up there and it was kind of fun. You know, it was, it was, I was a little bit nervous and, you know, it was whatever, but it felt good. It felt like I achieved something like I actually uh, accomplished something and pushed through those little demons in the back of my head. And so he, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this every Monday. If you ever want to come back up, come back up. And so I came up there, you know, maybe two weeks went by, three weeks went by and I went back up there and then I started going up there more consistently. And then we had an actual weekly Monday night live stream. Um, we'd have different guests on there. And so he got to where he was, it was just too busy. His job was pushing him in all directions. And it kind of got to the point where, well, if we're going to do, if it's going to continue, I'm going to have to take over the reins. And so I started doing it from, from my house. And recently my buddy Jonathan we've been friends forever fishing buddies and he's been coming over and sitting in with me and that makes it so nice to have somebody else because you get you got two minds listening and two minds commenting on um, a subject and a topic and he fishes we fish similar but he's also fishes a little bit different so his input on something will be a little bit different than my input on something so you I think you just get more content having you know a couple people um, on there and, and it's, and it's been great. So I, I appreciate that, John, man. It's, it's a, it's a growing thing. And, um, I kind of almost have to do it now. It's part of me. So I have to keep going. <laughs> Dude. So I do have another question. Is the thunder thumper still the thunder thumper? Still the thunder thumper. And I tell you what, uh, it's getting ready to get broken. It's going to come back out here in spring. It's got to get cold. It's like a, so the thunder thumper is, it's kind of funny. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. I hadn't thought about that in a while because it's a, it's an early spring, like late winter bait and it's a big spinner bait. So you're talking a three quarter ounce spinner bait with a size six or size seven Colorado blade, just a single thumper blade. And when that water's cold and muddy, it takes away from that jerk bait bite. you know, the jerk bait is something that's real common in the wintertime, but it's kind of a visual bait, but this big thunder thumper, works great in those same situations when the water is heavily stained and I did a I did a video on it and at the beginning of the video I said hey I'm trying to come up with a name for this bait and does anybody have any ideas and there was a bunch of different ideas and my man over there he's like thunder thumper I'm like that's thunder it's yeah thunder thumper yep so well what one of the cool things that I've seen you use in and I I'm relatively new to your channel over the last year let's say I'll, I'll be the guy that makes the comments like hey i'm gonna go out and try this or that or this or that because we, we do have a little bit different waters here versus what you have but you're the first person and, and maybe i'm just that inept with bass fishing but you're the first person i've seen where you've actually went out and and beat up on bass with an a rig on video like not and, and like i said there's probably other people but Watching you huck that umbrella out there and, and work that thing, I'm like, this thing is insane. This is my type of bait because it's got blades everywhere and, and swim baits hooked to this thing. And you're out there whipping on these bass with it. I was like, dude, that is cool. 
you're a spinner guy. That's, that's even better. Cause I I'm all about hardware like that. Yeah. The a rig is kind of a winter bait around here. It's to target those fish that are suspended out in deep water. It's kind of, for me, it's, you can't get through those fish with a jerk bait. A typical jerk bait will get down in that, I don't know, like six foot zone. And they, they do make some deeper divers, some plus one and plus two that'll get down there about 10. But there's times when those fish will be suspended 15 foot deep over 30 foot of water. And there's really nothing you can use to get down there. I mean, you can, you can slow roll and underspin maybe uh maybe a spoon through them but that's when that a rig kind of comes into play and there's so much going on you've got uh five arms with five little swim baits on there and five little little willow leak blades some of them have 10 willow leak blades yeah so there's it's just so much going on that the fish they can't handle it and they come up there and they bite it and it's fun i don't i i fish it in the winter time exclusively i don't i, I haven't tried to put it into play um in the warm season and a lot of that is because it's kind of a mess it's a big bulky thing and when you lay it on your front deck of your boat it has a tendency to grab all your other rods and you pick it up and you can you can throw a rod over the side of the boat or you can hook your buddy in the in the nose and um it, it, it can get pretty rowdy out there and it, probably the downside of the a rig though is it, it does have a tendency to hook the fish kind of hog tie the fish because there's mm-hmm. They, they grab one swim, swim bait and the rest of the rig will kind of come around and it, it might grab them in the tail or it might grab them in the, in the midsection and they kind of hog them. So that's the part that I really don't like. I mean, I, I like to take care of my fish and there's been times where you see a fish that's all kind of hog tied in that rig and you're like, man, that's kind of, it's kind of cruel. But on the other end, sometimes that's what you got to throw to catch fish in the wintertime. Yeah. Well, that big presentation, that that's the, uh, we use a rigs offshore here or something similar. They'll call it like an umbrella jig here, but we use a very similar thing offshore, especially with like schooling black bass or like yellowtail rockfish. And we're talking about a lot deeper, you know, two to 300 feet where they're, they're sitting suspended, but they're just not moving because the, the surface temperature, the, you know, the pelagic temperature is so much colder and they're just kind of like, oh, we're going to stay here. And anything that comes into our area will hit. That's if conditions are right for it. But you'll see a lot of that kind of action offshore. And then also with uh, salmon offshore, I've seen where they've used the A-Rig as well. But just seeing it used on bass, I, I haven't fucked up and bought one yet, but I'm thinking about it for some of our river situations, especially springtime here, the stained water, that colored water, throw that out there and see what happens. Because we do mark a lot of bass out in the river, but they're just so dormant you know i mean it's really a drop shot you know and drop shot and just wait and wait and wait i mean you could probably knock them on top of the head and still not get them to grab so that it's like you know it's just so cold but you're fishing in a fairly similar climate yeah and a colder climate especially illinois or you know that 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 northern missouri type area that's a pretty cold climate and just to see out there working that in the winter uh that you don't see a lot of people do that yeah, it, that's one of the, the neat things about that bait is it's one of the few baits that can still fire up the fish in cold water. You know, it's it actually does the best when the water gets in the low 50s all the way down until it freezes. So any mm-hmm. any that that range between 33, 34, all the way up to the 50s is prime a rig, you know, water temp. And it's I don't know I don't know if it would work in a river. I'm sure it would. I mean I don't see why you can probably 
it would probably work for multiple species. I know, I know you said you've, you've used it on some of the deeper fish in your area, but I, I don't see why. I know smallmouth love it, spotted bass love yeah. it, largemouth bass love it. It's just a, it's a group of, it represents just a little group of shad or bait fish coming through the area and, the, and they can't, they can't not go over there and check it out. Absolutely. Gabe, so how did the name, so I know this, but I want to ask the question because I like, I like the answer. How'd you get the name Tin Horse Money? Well, when I decided to start the channel, I said, well, I got I to gotta come up with a name. You know, you automatically think, okay, is it going to be Gabe Montgomery Fishing, which I do have a Facebook page, Gabe Montgomery Fishing. And I'm like, well, maybe I can come up with something a little more creative than that. So I got to thinking, okay, I fish out of a aluminum John boat. And in the industry, they've kind of coined aluminum boats as tin boats, like tin rigs, because it's a metal. So I'm like, I kind of like that tin. And a lot of the lakes that I fish are 10 horsepower restricted lakes. And I've also got on the back of this tin rig, a 9.9, which meets that 10 horsepower limit. So I was like, okay, there's two words there. Maybe I can like throw something together. And people used to always call my uncle Monty because my last name is Montgomery. So they gave him the nickname of Monty. So I'm like, I got something to work with. I just got to line it all up. So I figured, okay, 10 horse, but not T-E-N, like the 10 horsepower, T-I-N like the aluminum boat. And I'm like, 10 horse Monty. So I just kind of lined it up right there, went with it. And that's, that's the deal. That's kind of how I came up with that name. <laughs> I love that so, your time flies too. That's awesome. Oh, dude, this is like my, this is my one time I'm actually at my desk. It seems like more and more often, but yeah, dude, time some, some olive buggers with some orange collars uh you have gotten so good i really i remember <laughs> the same at the same time that we met back when i was with backyard bass and it wasn't too long ago after it wasn't too long after that you kind of started tying flies and you just kept going and going i'd see you on facebook you do like a live time and i you know i'd watch it and i'd comment yeah and it's like you've just gotten better and better and better so man it's it's amazing to see the improvement Dude, they they were just this glued piece of mess at first, and now they're just a big glued piece of mess. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wood have wood some wood. of the uh, first editions still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I, that I, is, I, that I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I my the limit of my fly tying has been like woolly boogers, some caddis flies, uh, glow balls. I can't tie the the. I haven't learned to tie like the small stuff just because I haven't put enough time in, but I can tie some of the bigger stuff. You know, I can tie some beadhead leeches and, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah. A, like a, a lot of people probably don't know that, but Gabe actually fly fishes a little bit here and there. <laughs> I do. I love to fly fish. Uh, I, I used to fly fish quite a bit more before I had kids and yeah, I used to go, I'd make an annual trip or I'd make a, about a three hour trip monthly to drive to the local uh, stream. It's, it's actually, it's like three hours away, but I'd make that trip all the time. I was always wanting to go any chance I had. And I still, I still have an opportunity around here to fish in some of these ponds and lakes. 
for bluegill and bass and crappie and catfish. I caught a big, like a seven pound catfish last night on my fly rod. It broke me off, but oh, I had yeah. it for a while. Um, and then here locally, they have a city park where they do a winter trout stocking program. So the first of November, they'll stock a thousand pounds of trout in this like seven acre lake. They're all rainbows, but I'll go up there and fish for them for, I don't know, a, about a month probably. Unfortunately, there's people that poach them, uh, people that will bait fish for them and they'll kind of put them in their tackle box or in their backpack and take them home. And it's open for catch and keep starting February. So after that, I definitely don't go up there. But why it's, it's catch and release, which is November through February, you know, it's it's five minutes from the house. So I'll definitely go up there once or twice a week and get my Jones. That's that's cool, though, because uh, you, you're known for bass fishing predominantly and panfish. You, you've done some panfish stuff, too, uh, with your channel as well. But the trout stuff, that would be cool to, to see you do some stuff with the trout, too, because there's always a little bit different technique that everybody puts out there like there there's always the like the the casting nazis out west all this stuff you know they're like oh well you have to haul like this or you know it's got to lay into the water like this but I, I think it'd be cool to see how your missouri stocked trout fishery is on the fly versus like john's stocked fishery in texas versus mine out west here you know i just it's just such a different dynamic to see it'd be really cool to see you do that I, well, I can tell you one thing, the Missouri stock trout are a lot easier to catch than the Colorado native trout, because I've been to Colorado a bunch of times. We, we made an annual trip out there like 12 years in a row, and I'd fish the Big Thompson River, fish the South Platte River, uh, Spiney Mountain Reservoir in that area, and the 11 Mile Canyon, that area, and, then, and those trout, they're pretty educated. I mean, they get pressured by some of the best trout fishermen in the world so it's not just pressure it's pressure by some of the best trout fishermen in the world and i'm out there trying to catch these fish i mean i, I catch a few but they're they're pretty dang smart i got on a big trico hatch out there one time and i i got word of it from the bait shop they said eight o'clock be up in the canyon because this trout this trico hatch is going on right now and and it starts at like 8.30 or 9. Sure enough, I was in the water at like 8, just waiting because you're in the canyon. So it takes a while for that sun to get above the canyon to actually get light. So once it once it starts getting light, that traco hatch goes off. And they were everywhere on top of the water. But they were size like 30. They were like size 30 <laughs> tracos. I mean, they were so small. And I had like size 26 and they wouldn't touch it. It was ridiculous. They were sipping. They were sipping and I was timing them too. There was a clusters of those trichos floating down. I'd see them, I'd see them come up, I'd see them go down, see them come up. And, you know, I got the timing down and I, and, and like three flies would float through there, three trichos. One of them was mine and two were naturals. And they'd come, they'd be floating down and they'd move to the side of mine and they'd sip the, the natural and go back down. And I'm like, I'm almost cussing in the river with these fish. I'm like, come on, just give a guy a break. Mm -hmm. I mean, I drove all the way from Missouri. Can you just... Let me just let me fight you for two minutes. I'll let you go and I'll be super, super happy. But they're super selective out there. Um, when they get on the, the grasshoppers, like the hopper dropper deal, mm -hmm. um, they're a little bit more aggressive, you know, and, and those rivers out there, a lot of them have, it's a lot of pocket water. So you got a lot of backwater yeah. eddies and stuff and you're, you got to cast, you have to be a pretty good caster most of the time. Um, you're just, you're just firing your bait into little small, little eddies and little flat water. 
And a lot of it's right on the bank, just those little seams that kind of slow down right on the bank. So you've got, you got shore grass hanging down. You almost kind of got to skip your hopper up underneath some of that grass. And then you got to really high stick it, give it a lot of slack because um, you don't want, you know, you don't want that, that, uh, that drag. It's going to screw everything up. You definitely, if you're, if your stuff's dragging, you're not going to get bit. They're very in tune. But um, when that bite's going on, a lot of times it happens quick. All you got to do is let that thing sit for a couple seconds. I'll come up there and get there. Yeah, I love trial fishing. I really, really like it. I've been to Colorado a bunch of times, um, Montana, Arkansas, the, the White River below Bull Shows. We used to we used to go there all the time. Um, Tanny Como, but I don't do as much as, as I used to, but I still love it just as much. Yeah, that, some of those fisheries there, I mean, the, those fish are smart. And, and it's even in like Montana, Idaho out here that you'll get onto rivers where you, they have just been beat on over and over and over again by, Bye. by guys fishing and you'll watch the fish, you'll see them and, and your flies going over and it is almost dead to the T exact mimicker and they'll look at it and then they'll just drop back down. And you're just like, what is going on here? And then you go and fish in the winter, give them a couple months to forget about it. And you go fish in the winter when like nobody's out there because everybody wants to get the dry fly. It's just like bass. You throw a popper out there, a whopper plopper or a frog and you get that top water. It's, it's, it's exciting. But then you get on these other fish and, and you start running nymphs through there and they just start grenading everything. They're just so much more reckless. They're slower, but they're so much more reckless because it's like, well, I don't have to show myself. Oh, what's this bang. And they just eat it because it's going right through the drift and, yeah, it's it's cool stuff, but it'd be cool to see kind of how that all works in your world. Yeah, yeah, I definitely um, would. Maybe maybe that's something I'll do this winter is hook the camera up and go out and try to catch some trout stuff. I I remember another story about trout being selective was when I was fishing out on the on the South Platte River, Spiney Mountain Reservoir, and it's called the Dream the Dream Mile, I think is what they call it, and it's got really big rainbows and really big browns and you can see them it's just one of those streams that rolls through the meadow it's it's um you know it's probably 20 feet wide or something in some spots maybe 10 yards wide in a lot of in a lot of areas and it's it's shallow in a lot of spots you can wade across it but you can see these really nice trout i mean there's a lot of 10 pound class trout and i'm sure there's some bigger ones in there but they're just ridiculously hard to catch and I got dropped off out there by my wife and um, her parents. And this thunderstorm came in. Well, why this thunderstorm was coming in, I, I couldn't get these fish to bite. I'm like, I'm just going to throw, I'm going to strip a woolly burger. I don't care. I'm going to strip a woolly burger. I had five pound floral. Um, I started stripping this woolly burger and man, they were, they were killing it. I went through, I think I went through two or three woolly burgers. They'd hit on the strip and I and I was you know I wasn't holding tight on the rod when they hit I'd let up a little bit give them a little bit of slack because if you hold tight you're going to break off every time but as soon as I went to set they just snapped me off they were so powerful so strong and I had wow. some I had some mono in my fly vest from bluegill fishing like some seven or eight pound like some eight pound mono I think so I tied a new I tied a new stretch of like eight pound tippet on there I'm like they ain't breaking this and uh, I was down to just a couple woolly burgers left. They, I, I lost several really nice fish. I never got to see them, but you can just tell they're big fish. And I finally got a bite, 
hooked up with this fish and I had to walk downstream about half a mile probably to get that fish on a bend. And then there was a, there was like a sandbar on the inside, but the fish was so strong. I couldn't do anything. And I was hooking him down. I was throwing downstream. I was working across current. So he just took off and, just, and you got, you got to go after him. There's nothing you can do. Finally wore him out. And it was a good solid six to seven pound Brown. Biggest Brown that I've caught. It was just a beautiful fish. Yeah, that's before, yeah, this is before cell phones and all that. So, you know, the only picture I have of it is in my head, but I just remember that how strong, how powerful those those fish were and how they were so finicky. And then as soon as that front came in, they were so dumb. They were just they just went crazy. They were feeding. They went from non-aggressive to just off the off the chain. Yeah, they're very sensitive to, uh, you know, any kind of barometric pressure change or, you know, thunderstorm. Uh, this last summer, I was out fishing and I, I heard lightning over the mountains and I was up there as fish and fishing. Nothing was hitting anything else. Well, people hear lightning and they typically tend to like run for cover. And me, I'm a little bit psychotic about it. So I, I kept fishing. So I put on a stimulator. As I think it's one that John had tied or sent to me. He's like, here, dude, try these. And so yeah, and this is how everything starts. He's like, here, dude, try this. So I, I fling the stimulator out and I have this fish come up and crack at it about six times, same fish. And on the seventh one, I just let it go. And, and it took it, went down under a rock shelf in the river. And that's when I set on it. I figured he's, he's munched this enough to hook up. And I, that was the only fish I got that day. And right as I got it up to shore, this massive lightning bolt just cracks across the sky my phone rings. It's my wife. She's like, you need to get out of there. There's like a massive storm cell over you. I was like, okay. So I got, I got the one fish during the lightning storm, but it was just like no bites. And then all of a sudden that, that barometric pressure dropped and they just went ballistic. Typically it's on a rising barometer with like trout species, but this time that pressure dropped and they were just like, we're hungry now. All of a sudden it's just like the air cooled down, pressure dropped and it was done. We were on it. Yeah, I, I was there by myself too. Like I mentioned earlier that everybody had dropped me off and this storm was coming in. I caught those fish, or I caught that fish. And then I, I kind of started paying attention to my surrounding because I was caught up in the moment. I knew there was, I knew it was coming. But one thing that happens out West up in the mountains is just about every afternoon, especially in August, you get these pop-up thunderstorms and they're pretty severe. And so I, I, I could hear the thunder and lightning and I was like, I got to get out of here. I got to at least get away from the water and try to find some shelter. Well, there was a, there was a concrete bathroom there. There was a small parking lot and there was this really nice bathroom there. So I started working my way towards that and got to the bathroom. And of course, I'm the only one out there. Um, I'd been fishing by myself for probably an hour. There was no other fisherman out there. And I'm looking out of the bathroom down this valley because you're on, a, you're on a plateau. So if you're just in a, like a, it's a meadow, but you're at 10,000 feet. It doesn't feel like you're at 10,000 feet, but you are. And there's this stream meandering through this meadow. So on the, at the other end of this valley, coming up this valley towards me was this wall of stuff. And I thought it was rain. I couldn't really tell, but I could, I could definitely tell that there was something happening. And as it got closer and closer, it was hail. It was, you know, like quarter size hail. And it was like, it was just like this wall of hail coming towards me. So thank God I had a concrete shelter because if I would have had to stand out in the open during that hailstorm, it would have been super, super painful. And I just ducked in, into that concrete shelter for a while. And um, 
after it kind of passed, I hear this car coming down the gravel road and they pull up and it was this, uh, this guy and this girl. And I kind of poked my head out and looked at them and they're like, how are you doing? And we didn't know anybody was in there. I said, yeah, I kind of got dropped off and that storm came and I kind of ducked over and they're like, you want a, you want a ham sandwich? I'm like, heck yeah, I want a ham sandwich. <laughs> so they, they popped their trunk of their Subaru and we sat there on the, on the cooler and we made ham sandwiches and just talked for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. But that was That's so day. cool. Super cool. Yep. Nothing like that. That uh, a stranger making you a ham sandwich right there in the middle of the mountains. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if my audio got all weird. I had to go. I had to go walk outside and get my kid. I thought you were Sasquatch hunting or something. Uh, it's it's the same thing. It's the <laughs> same thing. But but Gabe, dude, so. Kincaid and Pyramid are kind of, not Pyramid, but Kincaid is kind of like one of your, your big uh, fisheries for you, man. Like, so what, if, if I were saying, hey, man, I'm heading to Kincaid this time of year, what are some things that I should be looking out for to kind of help key in on maybe what the bite is? Good question, man. Definitely. It's changing right now. The water temperatures are in the low 70s. And when that happens, a lot of the fish in our area, a lot of the bass start moving towards the bank. There'll be a migration of bait fish. There's, there's two things that happen. So there'll be, there'll be a group of fish that will move shallow. There'll also be a group of fish that actually moves deeper because during the summer, there's a thermal climb. Most lakes will have a thermal climb. And what a thermal climb is, is a, it's a layer of water that sets up um, typically 16 to 18, maybe 20 feet in most of these lakes. And it has to do with the water clarity. The more clear the water, the deeper that thermal climb. And it's got to do with the sun penetrating to a certain point. And once the sun can't penetrate any further, it's, it creates this band of oxygen depleted water. So fish don't live below that. Well, that kind of keeps the that, that kind of limits how deep they are. Well, this time of year, as you start getting these cold fronts pushing in, the water temperature starts cooling, you get what's called a fall turnover. When that happens, that thermocline is gone and the fish can go anywhere. They're not limited to a certain depth of water. They have wide open range. So you'll have some fish that will actually go really deep, some that will go really shallow, but specifically talking about Kincaid and some of those other lakes in Southern Illinois, they have a lot of milfoil and coontail, which is aquatic vegetation. What happens is a lot of the bait, the, the shad and the bluegill will move into that grass. Um, all summer long, that grass has been growing up and it's been topping out. And there's a lot of uh, larvae. There's a lot of insects that are in kind of mixed in that grass. And as the sun heats up during these colder days, it causes the, and it causes a hatch, basically. Same thing that happens in a, in a, in a trap stream. Well, the bluegill feed on that. They're sipping, they're sipping underneath the grass. It'll start matting out and you can hear it. It sounds like popcorn, or like Rice Krispie treats. Those are good productive mats. I love it. And uh, oh, I do too. So, so your bass will, once that, once that migration of bait moves into that grass, a lot of your bass will start moving into that grass. And that's something that happens in Kincaid, something that happens in Cedar, which is another lake that I fish around here. That's when I pick up a frog or a toad. I actually brought a couple things up here. I didn't know what we would talk about, but one of my favorite baits for attacking those fish 
is not only a frog, but is, is a punch rig. I thought I brought a frog. Oh, I was going to bring a frog and I forgot it. But any like a hollow belly frog or a toad, I use a toad a lot. So it's it's something that you, you can, you're going to cast out and you're going to reel it in real slow. Um, you can cover more water because that's one of the key key things in the fall is the fish kind of spread out. So a lot of times you got to cover a lot of water. Um, actual traditional walking frog is a lot slower. It's more time consuming, but a toad something you could throw out. It's like a buzz bait, a buzz bait that goes through grass. So I'll use that to cover water. Um, when I find an area that I think is holding fish, I'll start doing what's called punching. So punching is I typically have like 50 pound braid. And I got like a one ounce weight and I'm punching through that grass and you know, something like some sort of a crawl. This is a gambler burner crawl. This is something that I've been fishing like the last couple of years. Um, it's really good, but you can use a rage crawl. You can use a ration innovation, sweet beaver, just any kind of little smaller bait like this to punch through that grass. Sometimes they want something with some flippers on them. Sometimes they want something that doesn't have a flipper, something that glides. But that's kind of the one-two punch for me is, is, the, is the frog toad and then actual punching. And then for the deeper fish, you know, a lot of times it's uh, dragging a, like a big jig or something. And another thing that happens this time of year is you'll see, you'll see these fish school up um, in the same areas that you find them in the post-spawn. So you can catch them in the fall in the same areas as the post spawn. And that's when I'll take something like an underspin. Um, you can take a small swim bait or this underspin right here. Uh, it's made by Cumberland Pro. This is the Apex underspin. So a quarter ounce underspin with just like a fluke or a little small swim bait or something. But you're just, you're finding those, those balls of bait with your electronics, you're scanning. And once you see bash relating to them, you just throw this out and slow roll. It's got a little spinner. So I know you're you're a fan of the spinner. This has a little spinner mm -hmm. on it. It's just a little yeah. baby, like number two willow leaf. It just has a little bit of flash, and then it's got this minnow profile. And man, I've really had some great days in the fall with this. So that all those techniques will work um, on Kincaid and all the Southern Illinois lakes. It's um, you know swimming a jig is another thing. I brought just some random stuff up here, but um, like a half ounce jig. Oh, yeah. this, throw this on the bottom, but you can swim it. Um, if you've got cover like docks or laydowns, throw that jig out. A lot of times in the fall, the fish are looking up. That's where your topwater bite typically gets so good in the fall is the fish are looking up. So if you're not getting bit dragging something on the bottom, you need to be swimming it because the fish are most likely up off the bottom. But a jig is something that you can skip up underneath stuff and you can kind of swim it out or you can fish it on the bottom. So you can figure out pretty quick where the fish are relating or what you know what water depth they're using by having something like a jig something you can drag on the bottom something you can swim so that's kind of you know you, and you can go a lot of different directions the crankbait is is something else something that's got a big wide wobble like this is a i think this is a six cents crankbait i don't even know i think it's yeah. a quaker, quaker or wake or something but it's got a really wide wobble and it, it sits about it, it, it dives about two foot down so it's almost like a wake bait it's almost like a you know, once again, the fish are feeding up, so you're keeping it up above them. So in a square bill, you know, whatever your favorite crankbait is that's shallow, a lot of times that's a great way to find those fish, just covering a lot of water, you know. Um, one more thing I'll show you. I know I'm rambling on about all these baits. No, no, go for it. Oh, you're good, dude. Yeah, you're totally good. Okay, so uh, a bladed jig. Everybody's heard of a chatterbait. Well, that's, you know, a chatterbait is kind of like tissue, but, but uh, our Chatterbait is kind of like Kleenex, but tissue is like bladed jig. You know, bladed jig is the general name for it. Um, something like this is a good representation of a shad. So that 
So a, a chatterbait or spinnerbait is something you can put in your hand and cover water and find those areas where the fish are at. And then you can really slow down and kind of pick them apart with a, with a jig or a shaky head. But this is a pretty cool little plated jig. Um, somebody that watches the channel makes these. His name is uh, Sean Titsworth. He's got a company called Titty's Jig Works, which it makes me giggle every time I say that. Um, but he's, he's uh, selling these on Facebook and they're pretty, they're pretty sweet, man. He, I, got, I like the big old eyeball on them. And this is kind of like a gizzard, a gizzard shad color. It's got the green and the white and the, um, let's see if that camera will focus. Yeah. yeah. It may not focus, but you can kind of tell what there it is. You go. It looks like a gizzard shad. Yeah. So a bladed jig or a chatterbait or whatever, um, spinnerbait, that's another great way to cover water and figure out what, what areas the fish are holding in. Now, do you find yourself use? I know you use your electronics a lot. Is that is that really what you're keying in with these fish? So, <clears throat> you're looking for bait balls, basically uh, schools of bait fish, and then you're keying in on that. Are you marking the bass around that bait ball, or are you just basically seeing the bait cloud and starting to work within that bait to see if there's an active hunter in there? Yeah, yeah. You can as you're scanning. In open water, I, I use a side scan, and, and the advantage of side scan is it, it'll reach out there 100 foot to each side of the boat. So you can cover kind of a, a large swath of area and, until you find the shad. And a lot of times you will see some straggler bass. You'll see the bait balls, and then you'll see some kind of singles. And if you're lucky, you'll see, you know, five, six, seven down there just kind of following them around. That's the kind of stuff that I'm going to stop on. If I see a bait ball, I'll, I'll mark a waypoint in the area that the fish are in the bait is in and then I'll kind of concentrate on that. I've recently acquired a forward-facing sonar like Garmin LifeScope. I have that on my boat which is really eye-opening. It's amazing. So in that same scenario I'll scan in a large area and if I find a, a bait ball I'll stop and I'll put the trolling motor down. And the trolling motor has the, the Garmin LifeScope and, and that's that is it's live action. You can pan the head around the trolling motor around and you can see what's going on. Typically I got it set out there about a hundred feet, which is a really, really long cast, but I'll look at the, I'll look at that bait ball and I'll watch it and I'll see what's going on. I'll see if there's, if there's actual bass in there, if there's, you know, game fish in there. And if I don't see what I need to see, I'll just move on. But it's really, it's, um, that kind of fishing is about locating the shad. Now, the other stuff where you're talking about, you know, you're covering water with your with your bladed jigs and your frogs and punching and stuff. You don't even need electronics for that. That's just covering water. That's going. That's beating the bank. That's going down the bank and just covering a lot of water. So you got two separate types of fishing there. There's the, the electronics fishing, and then there's just the covering water and beating the bank fishing. And that's what's um, that's what's great about fall is you can do them both. We still here? I think yeah. so. Yep, we're live. <laughs> <clears throat> so, swimming the jig is something that I never really did. But, I don't know, I, I guess, I don't know, I always thought there were swim jigs and then you have everything else that's not a swim jig. <laughs> right. You know? And, yeah. uh, uh, Isaac makes some really outstanding underspins. I, uh, I, I had some, un, uh, 
well, Moccasin <laughs> before they were Cumberland yeah, Pro. It's Cumberland Pro now, the same guy yeah. that owns Moccasin owns Cumberland Pro. We were... And uh, they really are awesome. Then uh, I think some of my first fish here in Texas in the fall I actually came with some of his uh, underspins. Yeah. Yeah, they're so, good. They're, they're the i've thrown i started throwing that horse head it's like a generic horse head underspin but then once um i got a few from cumberland pro that's been my go-to underspin for the last two years and that's that's this one that i just showed you while ago but i mean the thing with an underspin whatever brand you buy you just want to make sure that you have a post that gets the blade away from the body and you can see this right here is actually a zoom super fluke and I've trimmed the belly. Normally there would be like a belly that comes down. And the reason I did that is because this blade, as you're moving it through the water, the blade's gonna start spinning. It's gonna have resistance and it's gonna cause it to, to lift up, right? If you've got a big belly on your swim bait hanging down there, it's gonna hit that belly and it's gonna stop that blade from rotating. So you won't get that flash like you need. So one thing you need is, uh, is a underspin that has a post that comes down far enough to clear the belly and also make sure whatever plastic you you have on there you know you want to kind of streamline it they, they don't care to us it looks like it's messed up they're like that doesn't look like a minnow anymore but trust me they could care less they're just looking at kind of the general profile and they see that flash and they'll come over and snag it but that's the only other bait that i'll throw on an underspin is i'll throw a little like a 3.3 or 3.5, just a paddle tail swim bait. Sometimes a 2.8, something like um, right here. Just a little, just a little swim bait right there. I, bump, I actually bumped my screen on my other computer there. It got really bright all of a sudden. But yeah, just a paddle tail swim bait or a Zoom Super Fluke is like the two trailers that I put on that underspin. And, and just Chad colors, albino. This is my favorite color. It's called albino. It's got a little bit of a kind of a pale blue in it and then kind of a white. It's like a iridescent, softer white. It's not bright white. It's just a good kind of minnowy, shaddy color. But I've had great success with that. And looks I, I like just, a looks kind of like a blue highlight. Yeah, it's got a it's not showing up very well, but yeah, you can see it. It's kind of a gray yeah. blue, I guess, on the back, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that color on a swim bait. That is just such a universal, deadly bait fish color. Just that exactly. contrast. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, it's just about getting it pretty close. And, and sometimes, sometimes they like something that you always hear match the hatch, but sometimes you get more bites by not matching the hatch, especially if you're in a scenario where there's a thousand shad and here comes your little bait. Yeah, it's got a little flash and it looks like a shad but so does a lot of other stuff that's going on. If you throw something that contrasts, like we're talking about swim jig a while ago, this is a, um, this is made by Cumberland Pro as well. This is the Bama swim jig, but you throw something that looks like a bluegill into those shad and it jumps out, it pops. It gives the bass something to key in on it. Sometimes that's, that's, a, that's the deal. Instead of matching the hatch, show them something that's totally different. Instead of floating like a, you know, like a size 18 caddis, throw a stimulator up there, and sometimes they're going to suck that thing down. You're like, that doesn't look like anything else that's in the water, but it don't matter because fish came up and got it. That's kind of the concept of throwing a bluegill bait into the shad. 
you just get their attention, it jumps out at them and they come over there and they hit it. So you gotta, you gotta keep, you gotta keep your mind open out there on the water and make adjustments accordingly. But yeah, John, um, you can swim pretty much any jig. The advantage of something like a traditional swim jig like this one is in grass. So I wouldn't throw, this is an Arky style head and it probably works okay in grass, but, but uh, a real swim jig is gonna work a lot better in grass. But for throwing it around wood and docks, you can just throw any any jig. You can even throw like a football head jig and swim it around docks. But I think when you start getting into grass, that streamlined head is going to make a big difference. That's to me. That's when you got to go from a you know a traditional like flipping jig or football jig to something that's more streamlined like a swim jig. But other than that, you can you know you can swim any jig really. Well, that's awesome, Dave. Because I never really considered that, but you know. It's just another jig. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know? It really is. Yeah. It really is. I mean, if you if you could just have one jig, if I only if I wanted one jig to do everything, I would have like a, a modified, like an Arky style head, which is which is this. Because it's wide enough to come through rocks like a football, but it's it's got somewhat of a flat surface area where you can skip it, you can still swim it. It's it's really multi-purpose but just a standard casting flipping jig, you know, that's, that's really, honestly, that's all you need for most situations. Yeah, I, was to, I was about to say the only jig I could actually skip reliably was an Arky style head. Yep. Yeah. That's uh man. I tell you what I fished, uh, I fished the BFLs. Um, Major league fishing has a tournament circuit called the BFLs. It's the bass fishing league. And I fished two divisions this year. One was in the LBL division, which is Kentucky and Barclay Lake. They're about, uh, two to two and a half hours away from my house, depending on what section of the lake you're in. But I also fish the Ozark Division, and that consists of Table Rock, Truman, and Lake of the Ozarks. And we just fished the the Super Tournament, which is a two-day tournament at Lake of the Ozarks. I think it was last week or the week before, but I drew, I, I'm a co-angler, so I'm fishing out of the back of the boat. I drew a guy who was amazing at skipping a bait in the docks. So Lake of the Ozarks has about fifty to 60,000 docks. There's docks everywhere. You're fit, if you go to Lake of Ozarks, most of the time you're fishing docks, and they're not docks that are up on stilts. They're docks that are on floats. So they're low to the water. There's really tight spaces to put your baits back in there. You've got boats and you've got slips and you've got jet ski floats. And it's all about making really super accurate casts. But the guy that I drew in the front of the boat, he was putting, he was skipping his bait like, 15, 20 feet back up underneath a dock with an opening that was, you know, eight inches wide. And he, and he did it all day long and didn't very rarely did he hit anything. And it was amazing just to watch somebody that was really good. That's it, an, it's an art form just to see somebody doing their thing. And you're like, man, I know I'm in a tournament, but I'm just kind of enjoying you watching you do your thing. It was, it was impressive. He was hard to catch a fish behind because he was just like a vacuum cleaner. I mean, he was just hitting every single little tight spot in every little pocket. And after watching him, I'm like, I'm not gonna catch a fish behind this guy, but you can, so that's when you kind of got to do something different. You got to throw a different bait. If he's doing like a, a jig or a worm, you got to throw like a tube, you know, you got to give the fish a different look and hopefully you run across one that's stupid enough to, to grab your stuff. But it, it was fun. You know, the, the BFL tournaments are all about learning and, um, I really enjoy them. I got a, I got a regional next week. I qualified for the regional. It's uh, on Pickwick. And I can, if you want to talk a little bit about that before, 
before we dive into something. Yeah. I was like, okay, so you start out, uh, there's five tournaments in each division of the BFLs. And anybody out there that's um, interested in getting involved in tournament fishing, if you're, you know, you, you watch it on TV, you watch Bassmaster Live, you watch Major League Fishing Live, and you're like, well, how do you get involved with that? Um, find a local bass club, I think is the best way. Most cities, most decent sized towns will have a bass club. And usually the bass clubs are, it's a lower stress environment. Um, people are not doing it to make a living. They're just doing it um, as fun. So I, I recommend getting involved in a bass club and then you can pursue a buddy tournament and get, get a buddy that you like and start fishing the tournaments. But then eventually when you want to move up a little bit further, there's uh, major league fishing BFLs. It's kind of that grassroots entry level, um, bigger tournament, I guess you'd say. Um, so that starts out, we have five tournaments in each division every year and they take the top 45. So the top 45 in points go on to the regional and they also take the winner from each one of the five tournaments. So there'll be 50 people, 45 through the points and then five through the winners of each tournament. And then they go to a regional and the regional has four different divisions. The, the qualifiers from the four different divisions will fish that regional. So I qualified for that this year in the uh, LB, actually I qualified in the LBL division and the Ozarks. I got 10th in the LBL division and I got 26 in the Ozarks. I was well within that 45 cut. Um, and then, so Pickwick next week for the, the, uh, the regional. So I'm, that's, I haven't started packing for that and I've been talking to some people about Pickwick, but that's, uh, that's next on the list and I'm excited to get down there. And so they take, the way the regional works is they take six people, they take six boaters and six co-anglers onto the All-American and the All-American is like, um, they roll out their red carpet for you. It's like the kind of the Super Bowl of the BFLs. It's like the World Series of the BFLs. It's very, very hard to get into that because the BFLs start out with, I don't know, 10 or 15,000 anglers. You can think there's like 26 divisions all across the country. Then it narrows down to the regionals and it narrows down to the All-Americans. So essentially you're talking, there's about, I think there's 48 people from the different regionals that make the All-American, but it started out with like 10,000. So to, to make it to the All-American is just something that has always been my goal and I'll probably continue to try to make it, but I, but that's on the line next week. If I finish in the top six, I'll get the invitation to the All-American. And from what I've heard, it's just a really special deal. They they pay for a lot of your meals, um, some of your fuel if you have to travel, you know, over certain miles. If you're traveling over, I don't know, I think it's like 300 miles or something to get to the tournament. They reimburse you for your gas. They put you up in a hotel. You, you know, you get dinner, lunch, that kind of stuff. And a lot of free tackle and just kind of bump elbows with people in the industry. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping to get a chance to do that. Last year on the day, it's two day, the regional is a two day tournament. So the top 12 after two days get to fish the third day. And then the six from the third day get to go to the All-American. Last year we had the regional on Norfolk and day one, I was in 12th place. You know, I'm like, yes, 12th place. And there's, I think there's like 180 people. But day two, I zeroed. I didn't catch a fish. I dropped to 30, 30 something. But I got a taste of it. I was like, I was like right there. It's so close. And you work all, all year long to get to that spot. And I was right where I needed to be. And you know how fishing is. It's just like sometimes you're fishing, sometimes you're catching. And you know, that day I was just fishing. They wouldn't, they wouldn't bite. 
but I got a little taste of it. So hopefully I can, you know, kind of repeat that success this year and maybe punch my ticket to the All-American. That's the plan anyway. We'll see. Well, dude, dude I hope it. you get it. <laughs> yeah, so do I. It's a long shot, but I'm going to try. I'm going to have fun, you know. It, it's good content, too. It's, that's one of the things that some of the, my best viewed videos and some of the ones that are most straightforward and um, easiest to do are the tournament videos because you're just whatever happens, happens. You know, and I, I'm a person that I, I kind of keep it real. So if I fish a tournament and I zero, I don't weigh in a fish, there's still going to be a tournament video as long as there were some fish caught, as long as there's some content there. Um, and if I do good, of course, I'm going to put it out there. But you know, there's some people that will only show like the good side of fishing. Well, that's not reality. That's not real. We all go out there and not catch fish sometimes or just get a couple bites. That's the way it is. I don't care how good you are. There's days when the fish just aren't biting and you just don't don't catch them. Um, my buddy Ron, he always says that you didn't zero, you just ran out of time. You know, you just <laughs> you just ran out of time. You didn't catch it's like you didn't catch it, you just ran out of time. You ran out of time before you actually caught something. But that I so like I was saying, I just try to keep keep things in perspective and um show show the the tough days versus the really good days. It's not just like catching fish all the time sometimes there's days when it's slow and that's fishing me i think it's real important to show both sides of that yeah and there again i hope you go to the all-american because just with how much you've helped out a lot of people just with your videos and your explanation that is this is like a a mini clinic audio mini clinic on like fall bass fishing right here which is awesome because a lot of people are like well, how am I going to target these fish in the fall? And, and you just laid out like five fantastic baits and techniques just to get on these fish in different scenarios and circumstances based on one lake that John brought up. But I can think of a lot of other lakes with similar thermoclines and bank structure and everything else. It's all worth trying, you know, between the punch baits, the, uh, you know, the jigs, all that, it, it all adds up into some good stuff. And I, I hope you get into the top say i hope you win the whole thing to be honest with you you're our friend so i want to see you win this whole thing uh you know uh that what a what an in-depth uh view though of of the tournament fishing world i know a lot of people think like well maybe i'll do a tournament next year but man that's a it's pretty intense yeah it is it's fun it's there's a lot of build-up to the tournament i was talking on one of our live streams Last, I think it was this week we were discussing tournaments. I had Terry Bolton on, who's um, kind of a Kentucky Lake legend. He's been fishing the um, Major League Fishing Pro Circuit. And before that, it was the FLW Tour before Major League Fishing bought FLW. But we were talking about how as fishermen, tournament fishermen, you, you're never satisfied. You can go into a tournament just wanting to cash a check. And you cash a check, but on the drive home, you're like, man, I wish I would have finished... 20th if I would have just put that one fish in the boat that got away I would have finished 20th and there's been times when you did finish 20th and you're like man that fish that broke my line that would have put me like in 10th and then there's times when you finish third and you're like you know I was 14 ounces away from winning that tournament so you're always you're it's like you're I don't know I, I'm getting better at it I, I used to be more like that than I am now I'm really content with actually being a part of it and enjoying it and trying to live in the moment, but it's easy to get caught up on the ride home from a tournament 
and get in your own head and say, and be disappointed because you didn't achieve that ultimate go. But I think a lot of the reason that we feel that way is because there's this big buildup to this tournament and then it's over and there's this dead space. There's this quietness, there's void. You're, you're thinking about the lake that you're going to fish. You're doing some planning, you're doing tackle prep, you're actually packing your clothes, getting your meals ready and you're visualizing how the, how the day's gonna go. And then you you get there to the boat ramp, you launch the boat and there's just energy in the air. You leave the boat ramp and you're out there fishing for hours and hours and hours and you come in, you weigh in and you meet people and you watch people weigh in fish and stuff. And then you get in your car and it's just quiet, it's over. So there's, there's kind of a, that side is something that people that tournament fish, they go through. And I think for me personally, I think I've kind of mistaken the not catching the, the winning fish or the winning bag with that quietness that comes after the tournament is over. It's kind of a mix of both of those things. And I think, I, I don't think it's as much as um, not doing really well in tournament. I think it's just as much as this, this buildup and then it's quiet. So just like a road trip, you know, you go on a road trip, you think about it for a long time, you're driving out West and, you know, the first couple of days of your trip, it's like, this is the longest trip ever. It's never going to be over. And then the last two days of the trip, it just goes by so quick. Next thing you know, you're back home and you're at work again. And it's just, it's quiet. It's just, just yeah. you know, so you go through all that, but yeah, tournament fishing is fun, man. It's um, like I said earlier, if somebody's out there thinking about getting involved in tournament fishing, a bass club is definitely the best way. That's how I started out. And you can just stay with a bass club forever, or you, you can do whatever you want. You can move on from, from there. And, but it's, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. You got to learn how to, to budget time. One of the things with the tournament is, is time management because you've got the clocks rolling it. You know, the clocks rolling all the time. You've got eight hours and you've got to budget your time. You can't get complacent doing something. If they're not biting this bait, you've got to make adjustments. You got to really listen to nature and your surroundings and pay attention to what's going on. If you get, um, if you're, if you're fishing a jig on the bottom, not getting bit and you're reeling it back in and you get a bite there's a clue that was a fish that was most likely up in the water column so maybe you need to be swimming your bait up off the bottom instead of dragging it on the bottom just little clues like that and sometimes it takes you it'll take you four or five hours to get that clue and then you get that clue and then you start catching fish but um one more thing i'll say about the fall since we were kind of touching on that, the key to fall fishing is covering a lot of water. Covering a lot of water, just keep your trolling motor on, or even if you're bank fishing, if you're on a if you're on a lake, cover the whole lake. You know, find out what areas of the lake that the fish are using, and try a few different baits. But typically, if you just if you keep something like a a chatterbait or a spinner bait or even swimming that jig, you don't have to make it too complicated. Fish a shad colored bait and fish a bluegill colored bait and, and don't get caught up in all the different colors out there. Green pumpkin, June bug and white really will get you just about everything. On a frog, I like a white frog and I like a black frog. That's really all you need. And they don't see the top of the frog, they see the belly. So take that frog and look at the belly. If it's black, it's got a black belly, it's a black frog. If it's got a white belly, it's a, it's a white frog. And it's, it's really that simple, but it really is about covering the water and um, until you find find an area that you, you 
until you find an area that has fish and then you can slow down and kind of pick it apart with your you know, your bottom bouncing baits and, and that. But well, fish yeah. Are tough. Yeah. Really yeah, you know, something you touched on is that I know we're coming up on our time, but um, that feedback, that's, that's all fishing is, is feedback. Yep. It's, and uh, I heard recently that feedback is the breakfast of champions. So <laughs> if you're not getting the feedback, then you've got to change it up. And Gabe, for real, dude, just thanks so much for coming on tonight. And it, this has been so enjoyable, dude. I, I know we say this to everybody, you know, like, hey, come on again. But after, after your tournaments and stuff, man, let's have you on again. And let's, uh, let's catch up and, and see how everything's going. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to come back down, come back on here anytime. Anytime you guys want me on here, it's been great hanging out with you. It's good to meet you guys, like actually talk to you guys and stuff. I know you're texting and don't get the, the chemistry through a text. It's just totally no. different. <laughs> physically see and talk to you and it's been great to, to share kind of my path and um anybody that's listening to that listening out there go check out the 10 horse money youtube channel shameless plug there but got a lot of a lot of fresh content I'm, I'm doing the monday night live streams and then i'm also dropping content on wednesdays and fridays i've been doing like three video thing pretty consistently because that's kind of what youtube's about it's like it's about being consistent and it's hard it's hard to be consistent but it seems like um that's what you got to do. You know, it's like a, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, but yeah, it's, it's been great to, to uh, talk to you guys. I wish we lived closer, you know, I, I wish we lived closer so we could actually go fishing and maybe sometime that'll happen. I don't, I don't know. Dude, I think I'm five hours from you. Really? That's not far. Yeah. That's not far. You're, you're, I mean, uh, right. realistically, it's not too bad. And maybe we meet in the middle and go, we go fish the white or Taney Como or something like that. I'm up for that. We should do that. We should put that on. Yeah, for sure, dude. Yeah. You can bring me some fresh tied flies. And oh, absolutely. <laughs> and we can lose them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Gabe, yeah, we're, we're up on the hour, but I wanted to say thank you so much. Number one, number two. Yes, we are going to have to have you back on after the tournaments We're we're kind of coming up with a new concept to have uh, some of our guests on where it's not like a full hour length thing. Uh, but but just to be like, hey, dude, what's up? You know, just kind of a quick check in, everything else, a little sneak for the people that are listening to the, this podcast. But uh, go ahead, do your plugging right now. Where can people find you? You already mentioned the 10 Horse Money YouTube channel, but how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so social media stuff is 10 Horse Monty 6 on Instagram. Then 10 Horse Monty, Gabe Montgomery Fishing on Facebook and of course, uh, the 10 Horse Money YouTube channel. That's really the platforms that I have. I don't, I'm not a Twitter guy, but um, ma mainly it's the YouTube stuff that I'm really, really focused on. Um, so yeah, find me, check me out and appreciate anybody that, that's out there that comes by and just gives me a listen. Well, Gabe, once again, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate having you here. Always look forward to the the Monday night live streams when I can pop in for a little bit and watch. And then also uh, when, when I'm on the treadmill and I'm running and I got like a 25 minute video where I don't have to sit there and juggle through videos like, oh, it's five minutes, five minutes. I can just kick you on and I'm watching all of this awesome bass fishing content. I'm like, I'm going to go try that. Always that's, appreciate that's it. 
that's where I watch yeah. most of my content too, is when I'm downstairs working out, you know, I'm down there, I got dumbbells and a pull-up bar and a, and a bench downstairs. And, um, I, I'm always watching some kind of content because I'm always making content. So I, unfortunately I don't get a lot of time to watch other people's content, but when I'm working out, I'm watching other people's content. And uh, I know what you mean. It's nice to have some like fresh stuff to watch while you're working out. It makes it go by a little bit quicker. It does. It does. Especially when you're running. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're, you're on a treadmill running. You're like, Oh, I'm going to die. You know? And then you're watching this and you kind of forget about the fact that like your heart's going 160 beats per minute or something. And you're like, Hey, this is that's actually really cool. You know? And then meanwhile, you know, you got earbuds in and everything else and you're just like, <laughs> you know, you're dying, you know, but, yeah. but it's still good. It's, it's awesome. But Gabe, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And for our listeners out there, make sure that you get over Every Monday night, Gabe does a live stream on YouTube. You can go ask him whatever you want. Uh, check out the guests. Uh, go check out his YouTube channel. Check out his videos, especially if you're looking to target bass and, and the more uh, restrictive times of year. He really puts a big emphasis on uh, that, that fall and winter and early spring bass fishing uh, where, where you're not seeing so many people outside. It's okay to go outside in the winter and fish. There's fish out there. You just got to know how to get on them. But Nonetheless, check out Gabe's stuff. His information is going to be in the show notes for everybody. Uh, and as far as we go, make sure that you're following us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to us right now and you are enjoying this podcast, make sure to leave us five stars. If you want to chat with us or check out some of our cool pictures, you can always follow us on Instagram at Working Class Fishing. You can go over and check out John's stuff at Morris Flyco on, on Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on the Go Wild app. And you can also find us on YouTube as well under Working Class Fishing. So with that being said, until next time, thank you so much for watching or listening. And we hope that you have a wonderful evening. <laughs>